um, today. So today, we're finally getting back to the Gospel of John. It's been a little while. Our church has been going through the Gospel of John for, I don't know, it feels like about eight years. Uh, it's not quite that long. I think it's longer than 12 months. I think it's long. Anyway, we've just taken our time and worked our way through, and we're up to chapter 20. And, uh, and, and I, I kind of squeezed a bit of it in on Father's Day, but it was kind of, I felt rushed, so I thought, you know what, let's just do that again. So we're going to start at John chapter 20, and we're going to listen to this. You cannot let him go on like this. He'll destroy everything you worked for. Whether this man is a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind, but now I can see. Why didn't you obey your orders and arrest him? Because no one ever spoke the way this man does. What charges are you bringing against this man? He's a blasphemer and a criminal. Crucify him. Why? What evil has this man committed? Crucify him. Give them what they want. A crown of thorns for the king of the Jews. <laughs> Stretch him out. How can you save others when he can't even save himself? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Please, God, don't take my son. Please. He's dead. Get him down. Let me take the body. Please. He, he needs a proper burial. He wasn't the savior we thought he was. What now? It's over. serve a risen saviour and so we're going to make our way through John chapter 20 that talks about the risen Lord um, so at the end of John chapter 19 it was a while ago we talked about that but Jesus um, has just died from crucifixion he's just been laid to rest in the tomb uh, provided by Joseph of Arimathea and so let's get started into John chapter 20 uh, anyone can claim to be God uh, a lot of people do probably seen them on YouTube or crazy places online or yeah, yeah something like that <laughs> there's a lot of people in like maybe mental hospitals and things and that's like what you're alluding to that, that think that they are God um, but they might be able to claim it but proving it's another story isn't it we know that so uh, it's exactly what Jesus did when he rose from the dead he proved once and for all that he was the son of God that he was the King of Kings, that he was victorious over sin and death. So Jesus' bodily resurrection is actually a historical fact. A lot of people point to the Bible and go, oh, that's full of fairy tales and whatever. But there are other accounts in historical evidence of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, there's actually more evidence for the resurrection than for any other event from that same time period. Uh, so you can't disprove it. You, you can say you don't believe it, but it's truth. And truth is truth. Uh, one of there's many uh, Bible professors that would say things like, uh, "If you can't believe the resurrection based on historical records, you can't believe any other facts in history." 
because there's the same historical records of other events and other things. And, and so it, it's absolutely a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. As John recorded, some of Jesus' um, uh, appearances after his death uh, proved um, that many things, but that he was indeed alive. It wasn't just by one person that he was seen, but many. And we'll talk about that and go into that. And then towards the end of uh, this chapter, it finishes with that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's the whole purpose of this chapter, that we would believe he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Who wants to have life in this place today? I know I do, and I know that there's no other name that can give me life but the name of Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. And I just pray that it does bring us life, that it encourages us. Lord, if we've had a tough week, that you would be the lifter of our head and the encourager of our souls today in the knowledge that you are a risen saviour, that you conquered sin and death. And if you've conquered that, you can help me overcome any situation that faces me. And so we invest our trust and hope in you. So encourage us today with your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read John chapter 20. Uh, verses 1 to 2. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, and while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. See, we get excited about that, don't we? But you've got to remember, Mary is going there, and she's like, it would have been a shock. Who, who's stolen the body, or who's broken in, or what's going on? That's the first thing your mind would go to. Uh, but see, we know the end of the story, and so it's easy for us to read that and go, oh, it's all good. Stone draw away. Woo! But you can imagine what she was going through in her mind. So then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they take, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So it's a case. It's like one of those mystery shows. The case of the missing body. You know, after Joseph and Nicodemus buried Jesus, the religious leaders went back to Pilate and they asked him to seal and guard Jesus' tomb so nobody could steal the body. Uh, they had acted stupidly in crucifying Jesus, but they weren't going to be silly again and just leave it unguarded. And, because then it would be too easy for people to say, oh, yeah, he wasn't even dead, or yeah, he, his body got taken, or whatever. Uh, so they wanted it guarded. They wanted, they wanted that uh, place secure. So... They also wanted to make sure that there was just no doubt that Jesus didn't get out of that tomb. And so that's why they wanted the guards in place. And, and, and since Jesus was buried quite quickly, it all happened quite fast. Mary Magdalene shows up to the tomb on the Sunday and uh, she's arrived just before Mary, the mother of Jesus, to anoint Jesus' body for burial. And they were concerned about getting someone to roll away that heavy stone. But see, God's got it, right? Do you trust that God's got it in your life? That, that there might be this big, heavy blockade in front of whatever it is you're trying to do, but if God can move a stone that one man just cannot move, uh, can he not move that which is blocking in your life in this moment? We've got to trust in him, don't we? God had plans to move that stone away, uh, and, and he actually did. Now, there's a bunch of theories, and I've touched on them already, and I'll go through them quickly because I know we talked about them on Father's Day. But there's fraud theory. Now, fraud theory suggests that someone stole the body of Jesus. But here's the problem. The Roman guards were posted there. No one could just come and steal. And even if some say, oh, the guards were sleeping or they were drunk or whatever, but can you imagine moving that rock, the kind of noise and the kind of disturbance 
And it's not just like, shh. And there's no sound moving this, you know, massive rock. So, so really that theory is debunked. Uh, there's no way that someone could have stolen the body of Jesus. The, the next theory was swoon theory. Um, swoon theory is that Jesus didn't really die, but he passed out. Uh, and we talked about uh, how the, the process of crucifixion and, and how the spear went into his side and, and water came out. And, and you know that when that separation has happened and then it wasn't blood that came out, he's gone. Uh, any doctor will tell you that. So that, that debunks that theory. He, there's no way that he just passed out. And even if he did, he's been behind this stone for three days. Do you think he's lived? No food, no water after all that punishment he went through. So, so that's debunked right there. Then there's um, uh, ghost theory. Uh, disciples only thought they saw Jesus alive. Uh, so it was like a hallucination or something like that, that it wasn't really Jesus. Uh, but this is debunked as well because it, it wasn't just the disciples that saw Jesus after his resurrection, but there's accounts of some 500 plus people saw Jesus. So either they're all smoking the same mushrooms, I don't know, or taking the same whatever, uh, which is absolutely impossible. 500 people don't accidentally see someone. Somewhere. So, so that's debunked as well. Just a few little tips if anyone comes at you with those theories, because they're quite prevalent theories that people use to say, well, no, there's no way that, that Jesus um, could have possibly died and rose again. Um, so that debunks those theories. We're going to keep going uh, to John chapter 20, verses 3. To seven, and it says this Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, it's like a race. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. So we've heard of the amazing race. This is a race for the tomb. It's like they get told and they're like, what? And they don't have Ubers or taxis or, or anything. They just ran. So they bolted as fast as they could. And uh, uh, Peter was outran, obviously. Um, he tried. But when Peter and John heard the news, that they, they took off to the tomb to see for themselves. They wanted to see what was going on. John wins the race, but he didn't enter the cave. So did he actually win? I don't know. Simon Peter could probably debate that. Uh, he glanced in and he saw the linen cloths and no body. And, and again, you can imagine, we, we know the end of the story. So we know that he's alive, it's all good. But in that heat of the moment, his heart sinks. Like, what's going on? Confusion, all of these things. When Peter arrives, he walks past John. He enters the tomb and sure enough, Mary was right. The body is gone. It's missing. But evidence showed that it had been there. So you've got the cloths, you've got the head cloth that's folded neatly. Uh, here's another little debunk. People might say the body of Jesus was stolen. Uh, would, if thieves were going to steal a body, they'd surely take the cloths because that's what's worth value. And give it a wash, get the blood out of it, whatever. Uh, that, that would find value. But they left that behind if they did steal it, which we know they didn't. Jesus rose from the dead. But that's just another little theory debunked there. Um, without the resurrection, this is just so fundamental to our faith. 
Without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. Christianity is all about the risen Saviour because he conquered sin and death and he's alive. And that's what separates us. And I'm not saying we're better. Like people manipulate our words and say, oh, you're saying you're better than us. The reason Christianity is just so great is because we serve a God that is alive. You know, you've got people in every other religion who worship or look to dead leaders. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith, who founded Mormonism, is dead. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy, who founded Christian Science, is dead. Only Jesus is alive. And thank you, God, that you've provided us a risen Saviour so that we can have a relationship with you and so that we can overcome anything in this life because Jesus has conquered everything. Jesus over everything. We sung it today. That's why we declare his name in this church. You won't hear a message preached here that doesn't involve Jesus because he is the cornerstone of our faith and our trust is in him. Amen? Amen. Only Jesus is alive and Christianity is a relationship with the living God, his son, Jesus. Let's move on to verse 8 and 9 of John chapter 20. It says this. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw, he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. In other words, for them right now, seeing was believing. So John enters the tomb and he's also seen the grave clothes in the shape of the body. And like the other disciples, he just wasn't expecting a missing body. He's in shock. But the fact that it was gone made him believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He had a revelation in that moment. He saw and understood the evidence firsthand, making him a trustworthy witness. Hence the gospel that we're reading. This empty tomb brought to mind what Jesus had told the disciples about his resurrection. See, we read God's promises, don't we? And then we have chaos in our life. And sometimes we don't, we're not quick to go back to those promises because we're, we're human. Okay, so don't beat up on yourself if you do this. But, but like crisis comes and all of our natural instincts kick in. And then maybe after a little while we go, you know what, God says something about that. And we go to the Word and we find our confidence and hope again. And so don't beat up on yourself if you have that little in-between moment because that's natural. So like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And, and then remembering, hang on a minute, my God is faithful. My God will provide for my needs. My God will make a way through the wilderness. My God will make rivers in the desert. My God will remember all the promises from the word of God. And then that peace comes. That peace that the Bible says we don't understand. It's beyond understanding because it's not normal. If you're in a crisis and someone sees you happy, they're going to look at you and go, what are you on? Like, all this is going on and you're like this. And then you're like, I'm glad you asked because Jesus is my saviour and he provides for my needs. And the only reason I can be like this is because I have a confidence that my God is for me and not against me. So, let's continue. John chapter 20 verses 10 to 12 says this. Then the disciples went away again. To their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So Mary is now having this um, angel encounter, which he was sent to encourage her. 
she, she's not knowing what else to do. I mean, what would you do? Just think back. What would you? You come to the tomb. The body's gone. Where do you start? We don't, we don't ring triple O back in those days. Like the police, someone's take. What do you do? You just there'd just be this sense of loss because we didn't get to bury him properly, and and all those thoughts are going through their mind. So she doesn't know what else to do. The disciples have all gone home. So they're like, oh well, gonna go home. Mary has probably returned to the tomb, and she's standing alone, and she's crying loudly with grief, and she's wondering where the body is. Maybe when she looked inside, she hoped it would be there. Well, maybe the boys missed it. I'll have another little squiz. But instead, two angels wearing white sat there and where the body had been. Can you just imagine that? Remember the angel encounter when there was the announcement of Jesus' birth? The awe and wonder? Like, it's all these angels in the heavenlies announcing that the Saviour's coming. Well, I think it would have been a similar, whoa, look at this. So the two angels wearing white are sitting there. And, and, and I think we can assume from Mary's reaction that these angels looked more like humans. Like, it doesn't say that she then freaked out and started to run. or like They didn't look monstrous or different. Or they just We can presume, I think, that they looked... They didn't have the big wings and the big whatever, maybe, I don't know. We, we can only go by what the Bible says. Uh, and, and, and so she's having this encounter. And let's continue on with the encounter. Um, verses 13 to 14. Uh, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. So all of a sudden, this missing body has shown up in front of her, but she just doesn't know him. So the angels skip the small talk and the introductions and the high wear angels from the most high God. They don't do any of that. They just say, what are you crying for? <laughs> Such empathy, right? Why are you weeping? In one sense, it was probably you know, a crazy question. Well, what else would they expect from someone who's lost someone dear to them? And of course, there's crying, there's grieving. Um, you know, in another sense, it was an obvious question to remind Mary that she had no reason to cry. Again, in the midst of crisis, we so quickly forget what's being told to us. And Jesus talked to his followers about what was coming and what was going to happen. But see, Jesus was alive. And this is why the crying is not necessary. It was a joyous occasion. It was meant to be exciting. She told the angels what was on her mind and that Jesus' body was gone and she didn't know where to look for it. Woe was me and this is really sad. But then she heard something or someone behind her and she turns around to see who it is. And standing there is Jesus, right in front of her, but she didn't recognise him. That's interesting. Maybe she couldn't tell who he was because her eyes were blurred with tears. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say uh, maybe Jesus temporarily blinded her. I, I don't know. We, we don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is now right in front of her. We just don't know for sure why she couldn't recognise him in the first instance. Maybe he had a hood over him. I don't know. Look mysterious. Who knows? Let's keep going. Verses 15 to 16 says this. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? That's a popular question, isn't it? <laughs> Whom are you seeking? And she supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
And she turned and said to him, Rabbanai, which is to say, teacher. So now we have recognized Jesus in the flesh. Why are you weeping was the number one question of the day, wasn't it? Jesus follows it very quickly with another question. And, and he says, who are you looking for? She's not knowing that this man was Jesus yet. And so she figured he must have been the gardener. I mean, who else is hanging around the tomb? Uh, it's not like you just hang around uh, that place. So she asked him, where have you taken the body of Jesus? And she was desperate to find Jesus' body. And uh, the funny thing is, is even if she did find where the body was, like someone led her and go, actually, we just hit it around here. How's she going to carry the body of Jesus back to the tomb? Not to mention all the spices. Remember the spices that were put on him and everything? There's a bit of weight there. And plus it would look a bit awkward, wouldn't it? Yep, just dragging this dead body back to the tomb. So I don't think Mary was necessarily thinking um, totally clearly because she's grief-stricken. She's just desperate to find the body of Jesus. So in response, Jesus speaks her name, Mary. And that was enough for her to then recognise him. It's like the scales came off and all of a sudden she's like, I just realised who it is. And she responds, Rabbanai. Maybe it was the sound of his voice. Maybe Jesus removed the blindness from her. Uh, whether it was the way Mary looked at him and, and then finally saw. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us. But then she uses this personal response, Rabbanai. So you know that she knows straight away that it's Jesus. One of the strange commonplaces of life is that the most penetrating utterance is your name. Remember when you were a kid? Like, I'm Jeremy William Greening, okay? William, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, yeah. But if my parents said, Jeremy William Greening? You know you're in trouble, right? You know you've done something bad. You know, and I was the oldest, so I got in trouble the most because um, I was trying to boss my siblings around, maybe, I don't know. Who, who's the oldest here? You understand me, right? You know, my daughter, no, you tell me. Seth by like five seconds or whatever it is. <laughs> they're twins, they're twins. Anyway. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying when you're the oldest, you know, you, you, you probably are causing the most trouble and trying to blame the other ones. Uh, that's generally what it is. Anyway, if your name was, your name is powerful, isn't it? You do that, Melody, I know you do. Um, we'll talk later. Busted. Busted, totally. But the way it's spoken as well. So you can imagine Jesus in front of Mary wouldn't have said, Mary! Mary <laughs> Magdalene! No. Mary. And it's just the loving, nurturing, I don't know, you just feel safe when someone whispers your name with care. There's something powerful about that. Hold on to that, because we're going to come back to that. I forgot there's a video next. Hold on to that, because... Jesus is calling your name, just like he called Mary. He just says, Mary. He says, Patrick. Thank you. Alec. Sess. Good to see you, Sess. He calls us by name. Now, you may not know Jesus yet. There's people online. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But what I do know is if he calls you by name, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And you might have come into this place today. And, and you might be, I don't know, life is bringing you down. We all have our challenges, right? We, we might feel like we're in the biggest storm that we've ever faced. But Jesus calls you by name. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the, 
Mary was in chaos. She was grieving. Where's the body? I've got to find the body. Her, she was on a one-track mind of, I need to find this body. And in the midst of that chaos, Jesus comes and says, Mary. And all of a sudden, the grieving, the sadness, everything just drops away. And she responds, Jesus, rather than I. Jesus calls you by name in the midst of what you're facing. And let's finish by looking at this. No other king could vanquish the warhorse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God, not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for, the one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule. The sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died. The one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father, Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. Our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. Wow. There's no other king that will call you by name. There's no earthly king. You might get a letter from, well, I guess it's the king now on your 100th birthday. Who's sad they missed out on the queen letter? <laughs> anyway, it's all good. That's... But they don't call you by name. They don't know you personally and intimately the way God knows you. And I'm just so glad that I have a saviour that calls me by name. Because I fall short. I make mistakes. We all do. We all sin, and that separates us from God. But despite what we do, he calls you by name. No other king will do that. If you're in a kingdom and you do something against that kingdom, they're probably off with your head or whatever. They, you know, they put you in jail. They get rid of you. But when we muck up, we're in an opposite kingdom, aren't we? 
when we muck up, when we fail, despite everything that we do, Jesus still went to the cross for you and for me so that we could be free from our sin, that we could turn away. There's actually a turning away. I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to live a life that pleases my King. Are we going to be perfect? No. You know what? You're going to muck up again. But because that's the nature of who we are, God sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin. And you can see it on the screen. It's so simple to accept Jesus into your heart. You don't have to tick a whole million boxes and live right and get everything perfect and then Jesus accepts you. He accepts you despite who you are because he died for you regardless. Salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. All you can do is accept it. And the scripture tells us, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, say his name, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to give opportunity, and we do this at every meeting in Vineyard. And for people online, I want you to stay engaged as well, because this could be your moment where you say yes to Jesus. And it's such a powerful moment. Those of us that are already Christians could probably think back and remember to the time that we surrendered our life to him and the change that that's made. You can look back and go, wow, God is faithful. God is so good. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, are you right with Jesus today, this morning? Because if not, it's okay. You're in a good place because firstly you're here or you're online tuning in. But secondly, your heart's in the right place. So I want to challenge your heart today. If you need more of Jesus, if you need to confess him with your mouth today and reaffirm your belief that he's been risen from the dead, or maybe you're doing this for the first time. Wow, powerful. Why don't you just lift up your hand right now so I can see it and we're going to pray as a church together. And I'd love to encourage you in this moment. Yep, I see that hand. Let's pray. Awesome. Yep. See that hand. See those hands. That's wonderful. You know what? You can never come to Jesus too much. Don't be the person that goes, oh, I've done that already. I don't, that's not for me. Now we need more of Jesus every single day. So if that's you, come on, lift up your hand. And we're going to pray in this moment. Yeah, I see that here too. That's powerful. So good. So good. Church, let's pray together with these people that have raised their hands today. They have five hands, and we're just blessed by that. So pray with me. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you died for us. We confess we are sinners. We don't deserve favor. But you came anyway, and you conquered sin and death so that I could be made free from my sin. Today I choose to turn away. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. So help me with my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Release me from my sin. Because you paid the price for me. I choose to live my life for you. I confess that you are my Lord. I believe that you were raised from the dead. And so I am a Christian. I am saved by grace, by what you've done for me. I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we praise God and thank you?